Opposite Liaisons, where each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the naughty of romance fiction. I'm Jenna Hart, a romance author and an avid romance reader, and I'm also the owner of SwoonworthyHEA.com, an online community for people who love to read romance. It's a great place to come and talk about your favorite books. We have lots of freebies. We have a giveaway each month, and we even have the opportunity for you to create a fan or book blog, or if you're an author, you can come by and create your very own author blog there as well. Did I mention it was free? It is free. Please stop by. It's swoonworthyhea.com. What I thought I would talk about today are books that I would love to see turned into movies. Last week, I did an episode on books that were coming out in 2021 to the small or big screen. And I was able to actually finally go and check out Passionflix, which is a streaming channel of all romance all the time totally up my alley. Now they have a lot of content up there that was made from the larger studios. They have Jane Eyre, uh, they have the miniseries of Pride and Prejudice starring Colin Firth, uh, they have a British show, uh, I believe it's called Coupling. I think it's what Friends was based off of. But they also create their own original content based on best-selling romance books, although these best-selling books, as far as I can tell, many of them are independent authors or at least started out as independent authors. Now I watched several different things of their original content. They have several shows that are only about 14-15 minutes long that they call quickies which I thought was really clever. Those are okay. Then I went and watched their original programming of a series and this is a book called Driven by Kay Bromberg. This was the first book in the series that was put into a series of six episodes, all of them about 45 minutes long or so. I wasn't sure what to expect from this and maybe because I was totally completely open to it, I felt like it was okay. Because this is a smaller streaming service, these actors and everybody involved in it are not necessarily the big names you would hear at the studios. I felt that it was okay, that it did what it set out to do. I kind of equated what I was watching with the Hallmark romance movies, except these movies have a great deal of sensuality, surprisingly intimate sexy bits, and the occasional F word. So if you like Hallmark romances and would like to see spicier versions, this could be for you. As far as Driven the, the show went, I wish there had been a warning and when I actually went to look at the book on Amazon, I also noticed that it didn't have a warning that this book ends by not ending. It ends basically on a cliffhanger. That makes me completely nuts. And the other issue I had with that was really difficult for me to compare whether this was an issue with the movie or with the book because I hadn't read the book was the fact that Riley seems like a strong, independent woman and will sort of stand up to Colton and then the next minute not. There were several times where he was 
kind of a jerk to her and it looked like, okay, everything's all over with. And the very next time they're together, he's kissing her and she's kissing him back. And that didn't make any sense to me. And I don't know if that's because this is an adaptation and there was stuff taken out of the book or if it was like that in the book. With that said, it was fun to see a book come to life. However, that particular one, I will not watch any more of it until all the books are out because I hate cliffhangers. I really do. So then the next thing I went to watch was Gabriel's Inferno by Sylvan Reynard. And overall, I really enjoyed this one better. Now this one is divided into three almost movie length. They're over an hour and a half, most of them long. And this one does end and it does end well. Now this particular book, I've heard a lot from the book bloggers. And again, I didn't read it, but I knew enough from the book bloggers to know that it was really a slow burn book. And it had some taboo because he is a professor and she is a graduate student. I'm not quite sure of the age gap, but they're pretty young, both of them. The age difference is not that huge. So it doesn't have the taboo feeling of like an older professor and a young woman. And of course she's a graduate student, so she must be close to 22, 23 years old. However, the actress that plays her in this movie sometimes looks quite young and she's extremely petite or he's very tall. And in fact, both the shows that I saw, the height discrepancy between the two was humongous. And I wasn't sure if that was part of the books or just the actors that they got to play them. But this poor girl, when he was on his knees, he was practically looking at her in the eyeballs. So there was a huge difference. It wasn't bothersome, but it was very noticeable. Now, overall, I liked this movie better than watching the Driven episode. I was very intrigued, mostly by how Dante's Inferno is woven into it. And in fact, it has made me want to go learn more about Dante and Beatrice. It also interestingly wove in uh, their past. They had an initial meeting when they were younger as well as their meeting now. They both had some pretty serious hurts in their lives, he in particular. But overall, I really enjoyed this movie. There is some sensual bits, but not until the very end is there an explicit love scene, which was surprisingly explicit yet at the same time didn't feel like porn. It was something that was really set about to be loving and beautiful and not something to be simply titillating. If you haven't tried out Passion Fix, it's it's worth taking a look. You can kind of browse what is there. I did notice there's some differences. I ordered it through my Roku and some of the things that are coming up are different than what I see when I visit their website online. Online, they will show you the movies that are in production. Many of them, they say, are in production, are in fact already live to be viewed. But what I see on my Roku is very different. So for some reason, I think there's some differences about what is on each. But it does look like they have some really interesting content coming up if you're an avid reader, particularly if you've read some of the top selling popular independent authors, uh, that might be something that you want to check out. But today we're actually going to be talking about the books that haven't been made into movies that I would really like to see on the screen. So let's go ahead and get started with that. 
ever since I first saw True Blood and saw what a channel like HBO could do with a book series like the Suki Stackhouse series, I have wanted to see the In Death series by J.D. Robb be picked up by HBO. It could be stars. They've done a great job with Outlander, uh, Game of Thrones on HBO. All these channels seem to do a really good job when they take a book and turn it into a series. And for the in-depth series, I would love to see that. And I think it would make a really great series. The in-depth series takes place in the future. It starts out in 2048, which at this point isn't actually that far in the future, but in the mid nineties when she started writing, I'm sure it felt like forever. It's far enough in the future that there are some differences, but not so much so that it's sci-fi feeling. There are things that have happened in the world and in the United States history that haven't happened in real life and hopefully they won't happen but for the most part you can recognize the world that they live in. Eve is a kick-ass New York lieutenant detective who had an extremely heinous childhood that has pretty much closed her off from anybody and everybody except for her best friend Mavis who was a grifter that she once arrested and Feeney, who had once been her commanding officer, he, he'd been a lieutenant above her, but he now runs the ED unit, which has to do with electronic devices. The first book in the series, Naked in Death, starts with Eve and Feeney at a crime scene where a licensed companion, because at this time prostitution is legal and regulated, so they call them licensed companion. She has been murdered and she's been murdered with a gun, which is unusual. Feeney remembers seeing him way back when because he's older, but Eve has never been to a crime scene that was caused by a gun because they're pretty much outlawed and only collectors have them. Now, of course, murder still happens and they happen in all sorts of ways uh, through the series of books, but very rarely gun. Now as the primary on this case, Eve begins her investigation about who killed this licensed companion who actually comes from a well-off family and in fact her father or maybe it's her grandfather I could be remembering wrong uh, has been a United States senator. During the course of her investigation she goes down to Washington DC where they are having a funeral and she wants to go and kind of see who's there and what's going on and talk to people and she ends up seeing and meeting a man named Rourke. Now Rourke is a bazillionaire who is extremely handsome. He's always described as kind of a fallen angel type. He's Irish and he is a suspect in this murder, but almost immediately there's kind of a snap crackle pop between them. And there's actually a scene where he's driving her back to his transport, which I'm not sure how to visualize that because it's clearly not an airplane, but it does fly. 
But anyways, he's driving her back because he's going to fly her back up to New York. And that way she can have her interview with him. And he serves her coffee. Well, in her world, coffee and some other things are very actually difficult to come by. At least real coffee. So she actually kind of has a moment in the car, which is kind of hilarious as he watches her. Anyway, so she interviews him. And a couple of times she's having to interview him and come in contact. He's completely fascinated by her and in fact she loses a button on her coat in his limo and until this day over 50 books later he carries that button in his pocket which I just think is a sweet swoony gesture. Anyway so this book is about her developing this relationship with work which is clearly a problem because he's a suspect and also because she just doesn't trust anybody for good reason. We do know that Rourke has a history uh, that he, because of his money, has been able to hide well. I imagine him as sort of like a Han Solo that he, you know, started out in crime. He was a pickpocket as a kid. He became a thief as he got older. By the time he meets Eve, he's pretty much legitimate and his only non-legitimate enterprises are mostly for fun, but he quickly gets out of them because he knows that he loves Eve. And of course, it's an interesting contrast because they both have very difficult childhoods and yet how they approach each other is different, where Rourke is actually open to falling in love. He wants to be with her despite the fact that he had a very difficult childhood. Eve, on the other hand, has a very difficult time uh, opening up to him and being with him, even through the books, even after they end up married in the third book, spoiler alert, she is still growing and learning how to be married, be a friend even, it's an interesting journey to watch her through the books as she learns to open up to people and be more available emotionally to people. I would love to see Kick-Ass Eve and her fallen angel husband Rourke on the big screen. I'm not sure who would play them. I mean, I have wanted this for so long. The time I first started wanting it, I was thinking that someone like Pierce Brosnan could play Rourke. But now he's too old. Rourke is probably around 36 years old. So it, I don't think Pierce could pull that off. Recently, I started thinking that maybe Richard Madden, who played in The Bodyguard, if you saw that, he also played Rob Stark in Game of Thrones. But in The Bodyguard, he was really good, very intense. I think he might be able to pull off Bond too, which another thing, I am dying to know who the next Bond will be. But anyways, moving on. The next book I'd like to see into a movie is actually going to be made into a movie. It's just unclear. I think they were supposed to start filming, but then the pandemic happened. And that was The Hating Game. And The Hating Game was probably the favorite book I read last year. It is a rom-com that is basically an office romance. And I want to say enemies to lovers. And it was just a delightful read. Lucy is really a fun character. She's vibrant and bright. Everybody likes her, except, of course, her workmate, Joshua. Or does he? It's a really fun read, and if you haven't read it, I would encourage you to do so. Now, this actually, again, is slated to be a movie starring Lucy Hale as our lead protagonist, Lucy. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. She has the look of Lucy in terms of how Lucy is described in the book, but the only thing I've ever seen Lucy Hale in is Pretty Little Liars, which is kind of this 
dark, intense, teenage soap opera-y type of thing. And Lucy's not that. <laughs> so I'm hoping that Lucy Hale is a good actress and is able to pull this off. When I think of Lucy in The Hating Game, I think of someone like Emma Stone might play. Kind of quirky and a little bit self-deprecating. Anyways, that's sort of what I see. So I'm hoping Lucy Hale is able to pull that off. Joshua is being played by Robbie Amell, which I don't know that I've ever seen him in anything. And at first I thought, isn't that the guy from Arrow? But it turns out the guy from Arrow is Stephen Amell. And I guess they're cousins or something like that. Anyway, I am hopeful that this movie will be as charming as the book was. Fingers crossed. The next book that I thought would be really fun to see on the screen, again, if it could be done well in the same way that HBO and Stars have taken books and turned them into a series, is Dark Lover by J.R. Ward. It's part of her Black Dagger Brotherhood series. It's, in fact, the first book in the series. Now, basically, this is a series about vampires where Wraith and all his group are basically vampire warriors who protect humans from the bad ones of their kind and these other kind of demon-like things that also are wreaking havoc. Now Wraith and his brotherhood of warrior vampires are these humongous, strong, big, very large men. And one of the things that is fun about these books is that when these big, badass, often very dark, broody men first meet the woman that they are fated to, it's kind of hilarious. And it reminds me of the movie Up when Doug the dog, you know, would see the squirrel. All of a sudden, they become extremely protective of them. And generally up until that point, they, you know, I mean, they liked women they dated or whatever. But, you know, it's that whole big, dark, broody guy thing. Oh, you know, I'm never getting married, never having kids, that whole type of thing. And then they meet the woman they're fated with and, and everything changes. And everyone around them knows it too, because apparently they put off this sort of vibe, like a pheromone or something that the other vampires can smell. So sometimes they will kind of poke and jab at the guy who all of a sudden is attaching himself uh, to the woman he is fated to be with. Another interesting aspect of these books, this band of brotherhood vampires that protect humans, have some really interesting names. For example, there's Torment, and there's Vicious, and there's Fury, but their names are not spelled the way those sound. Like, Fury is P-H-U-R-Y. So they all have these names that sound like these dark, violent names, uh, but they're spelled kind of different. As far as who would play Wrath, you know, I'm not sure. The only one I could think of would be Alcide from True Blood, Joe Manganello. I think that's how you pronounce his name because he's tall and he's big, but I'm really not sure. And in fact, the rest of the books that I have on my list, I'm not sure who would play the different people. I just know I want to see them on the big screen. All right, so let's go to the next book. The next book is The Heist by Jenna Ivanovich and Lee Goldberg. This isn't really a romance per se, but Nick and Kate, through the series of books, do ultimately get together. And even in The Heist, you can feel the snap, crackle, and pop between Nick and Kate. And Nick certainly recognizes it. He is certainly attracted to her. Uh, Kate just finds him annoying, kind of like a, 
a flea or a gnat or something like that. What's really fun about the heist is it's has all the things you would expect from a Janet Ivanovich book, which is these crazy quirky characters and these crazy quirky situations. Basically, the book is about Kate O'Hare, who is a FBI agent who at the beginning of the book has been hunting Nick Fox. And I want you to notice there's hare, rabbit, and fox. There must be something to that. Anyways, Nick Fox is a professional thief. I imagine him kind of like a Danny Ocean type. And she has been on the hunt for him for two years. And finally, 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 she catches him. Now, to him, the whole thing's been a big fun game. To her, it's a career-making moment. But then all of a sudden, the powers that be above her decide Nick can be of help to them, and they have a deal where he will help the FBI catch bad guys, and they're going to do it through these elaborate long cons that Nick is really good at putting together. And so through the heist and the rest of the books, it's always them having to work together where Nick is putting together a, a long con to catch a bad guy, and Kate reluctantly is trying to go along uh, to help with the case. Along the way, Nick always has this crew of characters that come in and out that have certain expertise to help them. And many of them are really hilarious, again, like you would expect from a Janet Ivanovich book. I really liked the Oceans movies, and I also liked White Collar, which is a TV show based on a similar premise. So I have always thought when I've read these books that it would be fun to see these on the screen. I am a little bit nervous about it because I was very disappointed in the Stephanie Plum movie they made of Janet Ivanovich's book, One for the Money, because it just missed the mark in terms of capturing the humor and all the the greatness of that book it just was sort of flat whereas when you read Janet Ivanovich it's just a crazy wild quirky hilarious ride but anyways I would love to see the heist on the screen now last week when I was talking about books that were being made into movies one of the books on the list was Tangled by Emma Chase and at the time I remembered saying of all the books of hers and, and I'll be honest I haven't read that many I read a couple of the lawyer ones I wasn't even sure if I read Tangled uh, but I did listen on audiobook to her Royal series, all the books in the Royal series, and I thought that was the one they should have made into a movie because uh, Passion Flicks actually picked up uh, Tangled and is making it into a movie. Interestingly enough, when I visited Emma Chase's website today to kind of look to get reminded about which of the Royally books I really liked, because there's four of them, plus a novella, and I I listened to four of them, but only three of them I really, really, really got into. But anyway, so I was going over there to look to make sure I got the right ones, and as it turned out, Passion Flicks has picked them up, or at least two of them up, or maybe one. I'm not sure how many, but they picked them up just like I said they should do on the show last week. So there you go. Was it because I said so? I don't know. Probably not. But anyway... So the first book in the series is Royally Screwed, which is about Prince Nicholas Pembroke of Wesco, who is the heir to the throne. Uh, his grandmother is queen, and but his parents have died. And he is kind of a jerk. He's arrogant. And he is in New York for reasons I can't remember. And he ends up at this little restaurant-y, dinery place in the middle of the night where Olivia happens to be working 
working and she doesn't care if he's a prince or not. He is obnoxious and rude and so she's happy to throw pie in his face. Of course, romance ensues, but we're talking about a royal here, so things can't go exactly to form. Ultimately, Nicholas is having to make a decision about whether or not he wants to be king or whether or not he wants to marry Olivia because they have those old rules that they used to have, maybe they still have in the royal family, about being connected and being a virgin and all that. I know with Princess Diana, in terms of British royals, a lot of that changed to a certain extent, but here's this poor girl from New York who is now thrust into the limelight. She's highly scrutinized, and of course, a royal world is a very different world. So it's a really interesting read to kind of watch him grow up and make hard decisions about what he wants in his future. Emma Chase has a tendency to write light and kind of humorous, and yet at the same time cover some really important topics in terms of people growing up and learning more about themselves. The second book in this series is called Royally Matched and it is about Nicholas's brother Henry who is pretty much what you might expect a younger royal brother to be. He's a partier, he's kind of immature and obnoxious and I'm about to give a spoiler alert for the first book when his brother makes the decision that he does not want to be king it is now passed on to the younger brother, Henry. He is now going to be king, and they have got to get him ready for that. Henry is not very much into it, and when he meets an American producer, they decide to concoct a show that's like The Bachelor, only it has to do with marrying a prince. So they occupy this castle, and all these girls are brought in that could be potential wives and ultimately queens to Wesco, and on it goes. One of the potential suitors has brought along her sister, Sarah, who is basically a quiet bookworm, but is willing to call him out on his immaturity and in a lot of ways forces him to grow up. In the meantime, she's also the one that he begins to fall for, even though she's not part of the program. And like his brother before him, he has to make some interesting choices, although he, he doesn't abdicate the throne. He does recognize that he hasn't really been performing as the man he should be in his duties. One thing that I found really interesting about these two books is it's really easy if you're someone my age and grew up watching the royal wedding and then watching Diana and Charles have their two kids, William and Harry, and following all that along up through to when she died. Because these two boys, Nicholas and Henry, also had parents that died when they were young. So they are ultimately finished their being raised by the queen, Leonora. And they were kind of young when they were died. And I just, I just remember, and I can't remember which book it was in, 
where it talks about watching the procession where the two boys had to walk behind their parents' caskets in front of everybody who was mourning. And it made me remember watching Princess Diana's funeral when the procession was walking up the street and watching William and Harry walk and thinking how horrible it had to been for them to have to suck it up at the age of 9-11 or however old they were. And Emma Chase sort of brings that up and really talks about that from the boy's perspective, which I found really interesting. Now, again, there are two other books in this series and a novella. I didn't read the novella. I do have read the two other books, or I listened to them on audio. The third book is actually about Olivia's sister and a bodyguard, and it was fine. It was okay. But the other one that I really liked from the series is actually the love story with their grandmother, Leonora, and the king when she was young. So it like goes back in time to when they meet and they were basically kind of an arranged marriage. But that story was really fascinating as well. I, I really enjoyed that one. It was kind of bittersweet because I knew what was to come. For example, when that book ends and they've had their son, if you've read the, uh, the first two books in the series you know that that son is going to be killed so that that's sort of sad and bittersweet the other thing is in the royal books about the princess is we know the king is gone so we he's already died as well so going back and hearing Leonora's story is sort of bittersweet because we've already been ahead of that and we know what happens to her husband and we know what happens to her son still it was really an interesting story so as far as the royal books the first two and the and the fourth one I think uh, were my favorites and then the novella I haven't read yet so one author that I really, really enjoy listening to on Audible is Lauren Blakely. She always has really good readers. Sebastian York, I think, is a fantastic reader. I, I could listen to him read the phone book for sure. So I really enjoy her. Now, I can't remember how I discovered her. And the first book of hers I think I listened to was Big Rock. And I remember at the time when I clicked the order thinking... This is probably going to be a mistake because Spencer just sounds like an arrogant jerk. But what I found really fascinating about her books, particularly several of the series that I've listened to, is they're told primarily from the male point of view, which I think is fascinating. And also, despite the fact that the men might have large egos, they also have really large hearts. The most interesting thing about many of the books I've read of hers is that they're not loaded with some of the angst that you have in other stories. You know, they don't have these heinous childhoods. The men aren't necessarily these closed off, dark, broody men fighting off demons. They're regular people who are trying to navigate love. And I find that really interesting and she's able to do it in a humorous way. She's got a really great voice and style of writing that makes it really fun. So the two books that I think might be enjoyable, I don't know. I'm not sure without all that angst if it can come across as well in a TV show or movie. Uh, but it, it's, it does work in a book, surprisingly. Uh, the first is Big Rock, which is, again, the one about Spencer, and he and his partner enter into a fake fiancé-type situation, and they're best friends. And um, and so it's fun to see how they navigate, navigate that. The other one is Wonderlust, which actually takes place in Paris, which is also uh, really fun. One is... I believe he's British 
but he's in Paris and he's an interpreter and she's an American who's moved to Paris to work in a perfumery. And both of those are really enjoyable reads. And I just, her style of writing and everything, I, it, I really enjoy them as books. The other thing Lauren Blakely has done recently is that instead of having a single reader or then for, for a while dual readers, you know, one for the woman and one for the man, she now has like an entire cast, different readers for every character in the book. It's like a little play, only an audio book. So I, I feel like maybe it would work in a movie or TV, although I, I can't say for sure, but I very much do enjoy her books. So if you, especially the audio books, if you haven't checked her out, I would, I would do so because they're really fun. Big, Big Rock and Wonderlust are the two that I think would be really fun. The final book that I have on my list that I think would make a really fascinating movie or maybe TV show is Cry Wolf by Tammy Hogue. This book came out a while ago, but I really liked it. It is a romantic suspense that takes place in Louisiana. A couple times I've had episodes where I've talked about how much I enjoy books that take place in Louisiana because Louisiana is a setting that becomes a character in and of itself. And of course, in Cry Wolf, we are in Cajun country and there's murder and there's corruption. Basically, this book is about Laurel Chandler who's returned to her Louisiana town after having some difficulties at work as an attorney, she's come home to kind of get her life back together. But while she's there, there's somebody out there preying on women and murdering them. At home, she runs into Jack Boudreau, who is Cajun, uh, but had left for a while. I want to say he was living in Texas. He is also um, a well-known author, but he had some things happen to him. Uh, prior to his coming back and getting a shack on the bayou and kind of hiding out and being a recluse. He does play in a Cajun band in a Cajun bar and he's just sort of a dark tortured soul and the two of them together end up having to figure out what is going on with this murder and they end up falling in love. Because it involves Louisiana and it's a romantic suspense. I think it's ideal for a movie. Uh, other books of Tammy Hoke's have been made into a movie, so it's not that big of a stretch. This book pretty much has all the elements that I enjoy in a good romantic suspense because you got murder and mayhem. You've got two people with their own baggage coming together and not only working together to kind of figure out what's going on, but also learning to love and trust again. And of course, Jack Boudreaux. What a great name for a leading hero. Am I right? So that's it. Those are several of the books that I have read that I would really enjoy seeing on the big screen. Are any of the ones I mentioned ones that you would like as well? Or maybe there's some others that you would like to see made into a movie or TV show. I would love to know. You can let me know in the comments below. Now, if you enjoy talking about romance fiction, I would love it if you would subscribe or follow us so that you can be kept up to date when new episodes of Illicit Liaisons come available. Also, in between, if you want to talk about your favorite romance books or authors, I hope that you will visit swinworthyhea.com and join. It's free and it's fun, so why not come on over? Until next time, this is Jenna Hart wishing you peace, love, and happily ever after. <laughs>